Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Grab a seat. Fantastic. I just really believe that tonight, prophetically, it's my real heart's desire that this message brings freedom. I think it's been a real theme, hasn't it, tonight, that God's been speaking to us about freedom. And so uh, what I share tonight, yeah, I just, I'm just believing that it's going to somehow bring a dimension of freedom to our lives. But I just want to give you a bit of context about um, who I am. Um, so I'm Michael, for those who don't know me, married to Gillian. Uh, we've been married for 34 years. And, um, and I have to say, she makes me look good. Um, I just want to honor Gillian because um, we've just had an incredible adventure over those 34 years. I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a spouse, then look for a man or a woman who's up for an adventure with God. So, uh, and we have two children, uh, Catherine, who's 24, um, and she's in Wellington, and our son, Jono, and his wife, Emma, and um, Ollie, who's our grandson. He's four months old, and I was really keen to give him his first cup of decaf coffee. I thought you can never start too soon, but apparently that's not what you do. So, you know, grandparents, all fun and no responsibility. So that's an exciting uh, kind of part of our lives for us, um, that part of the journey. Um, I just want to just take some time just to um, honour um, Sheridan and Jan, and it's just great being part of the Activate Church family, um, and we launched this Activate Church in Christchurch in February of this year, and uh, we've just been on a journey as a church, just taking some incredible steps of faith. I worked out that we've released 10% of our adult population in the church, either to overseas missions or local church planting, one out of every 10 and I think the only reason we've been able to do that is because we're part of the larger family. And I just want to say, our win is your win. So thank you guys for making that possible. We sent Andre and Hannah out to Rolleston, which is, it used to be a little horse town. Is that right, Trevor? Would you call Rolleston a horse town back in the day? Maybe 4,000 people. It's grown to nearly 20,000 people. And they've taken a church of 40 adults and children. In 12 months, they're just about to break the 200 barrier. So just phenomenal growth. And so that deserves a clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. Um, but the only reason that's been able to be happen is because we were able to take that step of faith because we're part of a larger family. Um, it's been so great to have um, Luke with us. I could tell you, Luke's been with us for the last three Sundays. I could tell you so many stories about Luke, but he could tell you so many stories about me. So what did they say? What happens on camp stays on camp. So... We'll keep it under wraps for now, but uh, Luke's just been an incredible um, blessing to us. Uh, we're just really in a rebuilding phase, especially with our music, and I had tears in my eyes this morning. Luke was playing, and he had Miriam. Miriam's 12, and she was up at the keyboard, and she was just kind of picking out a bit of a melody. I felt quite emotional and sort of a bit choked up, and I thought, oh, um, this must be Jesus. And, uh, and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, this is a picture of your future. And so thank you for just um, releasing Luke to us, because I, I just think he's helping to birth something new in a new season for us. So we've just really enjoyed having you with us, Luke. The, the, the church just gave him a big clap. There were tears in people's eyes. No, just joking. But they were really, really blessed um, to have you with us. That was absolutely awesome. Fantastic. And we've got the first um, overhead up there. Or do I need to click this to get it going? Um, I really want to talk this morning about, or this evening, sorry, about God's answer to anxiety. Um, I think as Christians, you know, if we can have a confidence in who Jesus is, we've got a huge part to play. Uh, we live in an incredibly anxious society. I heard just recently in Christchurch, and I'm sure it's in other parts of the world, I heard of a five-year-old who went to school and had a panic attack. 
And I don't think that's because there's anything you know, special about the five-year-old, but I think the five-year-old was picking up the anxiety of her parents or caregivers. And so we live in an incredibly anxious society. And I believe as Christians, we need to have freedom in that area of our lives. And as we have freedom, we can bring the freedom of Jesus um, to others. Um, this is a, a, I'm going to show you um, a Colmar Brunton um, survey um, of the kind of things that New Zealanders are anxious about. Violence in our society is a huge concern. We have one of the most violent societies in the Western world, especially around the area of domestic violence. The whole area of the protection of New Zealand children is a huge issue for many people. The increasing cost of living is concerning to people. Suicide rates, we're really concerned at the moment in Canterbury for farmers with the whole Mbova scare, and there are farmers who are committing suicide because they just don't know that they've got a future. And maybe you've got people like, um, who was it tonight, was sharing about, you're sharing about your friend, Stacy was sharing about his friend, who's just really struggling with that. The build-up of plastic in the environment. They reckon, you know, when archaeologists are kind of digging through the layers, they'll kind of see, you know, um, these people were known for their pewter goblets and, you know, golden plates or whatever, and they'll get to our part of history and they'll just find a layer of plastic. And they say, oh, that's where Michael and Gillian and Sheridan and Jan and those people live. Not that we're not bad with plastic, but you know what I mean. Not having access to good, affordable health care. Uh, the cleaning up of New Zealand waterways. Pollution of lakes and seas. Lack of affordable housing. Drugs and alcohol addiction in our society. These are very real issues that we all face, and this causes there to be an overwhelming level of anxiety in our society. I'm sure you probably know friends who are anxious. I'm sure we ourselves, if we're honest, there are times when we struggle with anxiety, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a human emotion, but how can we walk into the freedom of Jesus? So I really want us to think about what does it mean to fear not because God is with us? I'd really like to unpack that this evening and, and help to get a, a handle on that. I'm not sure whether you've heard of a lady called Belinda Stott. She runs something called Soul Tour. And uh, I'm going to be talking about some of her resources a little bit later on. But she's got this quote of anxiety, which I thought was good. She said, anxiety can be defined as fear in advance before anything has gone wrong. I want to give you a bit of an illustration. Um, recently, Gillian and I had the opportunity with friends from church to ride um, motorbikes around Tasmania, um, as you do. And uh, the thought occurred to me, so I'm, I'm riding, Gillian's on the back, and Ray's riding, and Denise is on the back, and the thought occurred to me, I wonder what happens if we fall off. Um, and, and so I thought there were probably three, at least three different possible answers to that question. Number one, God might be warning me not to go. That was a possibility. Number two, this might be some sort of satanic attack. The enemy's out to ruin my fun, you know, so, um, so I need to kind of press through that. Or third possibility, it could just be my undisciplined imagination. As I thought and prayed about it, I decided that I was confident that it was just my imagination. And we covered the 2,731 kilometers without incident. But Belinda Stott makes the, uh, makes the point that not all anxiety is bad. A certain amount of anxiety is good because it encourages us to really give our best to the things that we're doing. As Christians, it encourages us to take a step of faith. As Sheridan said, I'm going to be talking about it in a minute or two, Christianity is not safe. We're called to take steps of faith. 
And so in my motorbike illustration, I decided, well, I'm not always very good at getting around corners, and that's probably quite important to riding, isn't it? So <laughs> that's reassuring for Gillian. Gillian says that riding with me is great for her prayer life. I'm not quite sure what she means by that, but so I decided I'd go to Ruapuna, which if you know Ruapuna, it's a, a racetrack in Christchurch, and I'd do a course with Dan Ornsby, who used to ride Triumph motorbikes, used to race Triumph motorbikes, and I'd do um, a course on cornering. So that when I got to Tasmania, I was much more confident about getting around the corners. You see, my low-level anxiety enabled me to upskill so that I could be more effective on that motorbike. Max Licato in his book, uh, Fear Not, and I'm going to be quoting Max Licato a few times tonight. He says this, When fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-adverse person accomplish noble deeds? For God, for others, no. The fear-filled cannot love deeply. Love is risky. And friends, if we really want to belong to God, and if we really want to belong to one another, there's going to be this element of risk. We're going to have to overcome this anxiety, and we're going to have to take hold of Jesus in a new way. We can fear not because Jesus is with us, and I want to unpack that tonight. Sometimes people say, and this is, a, I don't think, a phrase originally, uh, original to me, but sometimes we just need to do life scared. Have you ever been like that? Gillian and I recently... Um, my niece was doing a tandem parachute jump, and Gillian said, no, you can't do it with her, I'll do it with you. But then the next year, she didn't want to do it. And the next year after that, she didn't want to do it. And the third year, she said, oh, well, I better, better get it over and done with. So a couple of years ago, uh, we were over Taupo, and you're sitting in the back of the plane. And just before, you know, do I really want to do this? Have I paid money to do this? And then you kind of launch yourself out. And uh, sometimes we just need to do life scared to take hold of what God has for us. It, I'm not talking about being stupid, but I'm talking about taking the God opportunities that we've been given every day. I want to show you another quote that you probably know quite well. It's from C.S. Lewis, and I think probably Sheridan was alluding to this. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. And Susan's surprised since she assumed that Aslan was a man. And C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, Susan then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks Mr. Beaver is Aslan, uh, if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I think that's tremendously profound if we can get hold of that. Friends, Christianity is not safe, but Jesus is good. He has your interests and my interests at heart, and he wants us to be all that we can be in his redemptive purposes. It isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. The big idea that I want you to remember this evening, if you remember nothing else, they say, you know, when you're preaching, if people just remember one thing, it's a good day. So here it is, folks. If you're not going to remember anything else, if you can just remember this, is that God's answer to anxiety is not primarily found in a strategy. God's answer to anxiety is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Fear not, because 
God sent his son Jesus to live amongst us as a human being, to die and to rise again. Jesus is our Emmanuel. And then when he rose again to the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and within me. So he is still our Emmanuel, God with us. Fear not, God is with you. So that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this evening. And who knows, it's one thing to actually know it in your head. It's a whole other thing to know it in your heart. So what I want to spend time now is, is just practically how can we get that from our head to our heart so that we actually live this out in reality. The first point that I'd like to make um, tonight is this. God, um, in this answer to anxiety, fear not, God is with you. God is with you when you believe in the resurrection power of God to overcome anxiety. After Jesus' death, uh, the disciples were meeting together behind closed doors, and they were uncertain and and they were afraid as to what their future was. Even though they'd been with Jesus, anxiety was still a part of their lives as well. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 24 and verses 36 through to 39. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood amongst them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now you might be thinking, and fair enough, well, man, if Jesus was standing before me and he showed me his hands and his feet, you know, I'd believe as well. But the thing is that as we look at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is really the story about the history of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. There were lots of people during the the time of the book of Acts who were eyewitnesses. They had seen Jesus' death. They had experienced his resurrection. But it was not actually knowing that that transformed their lives. What transformed their lives was seeing the power of God at work. I want to show you just one example of that a little bit later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John come across a crippled beggar and they say to him, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Friends, God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have, but what you do have, step out and God will use it so that the power of God might be at work through you. Invite that neighbor or that friend at university or that friend at high school. Invite them to have a coffee or to share a meal not because you want to win them for Christ initially, but just because you want to be a good neighbor. And as you're a good neighbor, let them experience God's love and concern for them through you. Change the atmosphere at work by taking in morning tea and be the good news before you offer to pray. Be the first to say that you're sorry to your spouse. That's hard. I was saying to the church this morning that for Jillian and I, when it came to saying sorry, I could always outweigh her because... On a bad night, it would take me maybe 20, 25 seconds to go to sleep, but Gillian would stay awake for hours. So I'd just wait her out, and then she'd say, oh, I'm sorry, and then she'd be able to get to sleep. And then God convicted me. It was really inconvenient. I thought, no, this isn't good. I, I need to show some leadership here, and I need to be prepared to say, I'm sorry. Even if I thought I was right, I'm sorry that you know this turned pear shape and I, I lost my temper or whatever had gone down. 
And in doing that, we reveal something of what it means to see the power of God at work in our lives. Jillian and I recently were so encouraged. We went to see a couple, a young couple, and they're having their baby dedicated at church. Actually, next weekend when Sheridan is with us. And uh, as we heard their story, we were so blessed to see how the power of God transformed and is transforming their lives. And Jillian and I drove home after that meeting and said, that's what we live for. That's what we live for, is to see the power of God transforming people's lives. And we were inspired again. So become the resurrection power of God at work in your world and trust the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in people's lives and you will know that God is with you each and every day. That's the first way to overcome anxiety. That's what it means to wherever, whenever be like Jesus. The second thing I wanted to share um, this evening is, first of all, God is with you when you believe in the resurrection power of God to overcome anxiety. Secondly, God is with you when you allow gratitude and thanksgiving to God be God's answer to anxiety. God inhabits the praises of his people. We were encouraged about that tonight, weren't we? And when we declare the reality of who God is and what God has done in our lives, this creates an atmosphere that's attractive for God to work in. Have a look at the scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the presence of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As Jan said earlier, you know, Roman prisons were not a great place to be. And Paul probably thought that he might never come out of that place alive. And so he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's encouraging them about what does it mean to live the kind of lives that we should live as Christians. And I think Paul in this passage, I think, gives us four keys about how we can overcome anxiety in our lives. It's interesting that Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And in doing so, Paul acknowledges that anxiety exists. As I said to the church at home, you can't, I can't just stand in front of the mirror and say, um, Michael, you're not anxious. Michael, you're not anxious. Michael, you're not anxious. And Michael walks away and he's still anxious. You know, it's the truth that will set you free. It's not denial that will set you free. And so what's Paul saying about how can we overcome anxiety in our lives by the power of the Spirit? And I think there are four keys here that he's sharing with the church in Philippi. Four initially, and then I've got one for you later on. The first is the whole area of prayer. So use your anxiety to motivate you to pray. Use that feeling of, of anxious to to really believe and to trust God and to start to pray into that whole area. Secondly, it talks in this passage that I had up earlier about the whole area of petition. And petition means this breakthrough is not only for you, but it's also for others. So as you're praying about your own anxiety, stand in that gap for others, that as you break through, there might be a breakthrough for others as well. So pray for others who are struggling, encourage them, and seek to be part of God's answer for them. There's a whole area of thanksgiving. It brings a God-given perspective to the anxiety that we're facing. Maybe your anxiety is making it hard for you to sleep. So in the midst of that, thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness. Allow the thanksgiving and gratitude of God just to bring a different perspective to what you're facing. And then Paul says that you'll experience the peace of God. 
Let God's peace blanket your anxiety and guard your heart and mind. Our minds are like a cracked record, and it's easy for them just to go back to that default setting and those habit patterns that we've learned, but choose to actively partner with the bigness of God in spite of the anxiety that you're feeling. God, I choose to believe and trust you. Read the Psalms and the other promises of God from the Bible that testify to the goodness of God. And I've just chosen a few Psalms as an example for you tonight. Psalm 139 is one of my favorites, verse 7 and verses 9 to 10. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I felt prophetically that God was saying to someone as I was preparing this message, every day deserves a chance. Maybe there are some days, I don't know, maybe you don't have them, when you just don't feel like getting out of bed, or everything seems a challenge. And I believe the Spirit of God today would you say to you, every day deserves a chance. It's a gift from God. God can do something with that day if you'll just give it to Him. But I don't want to get out of bed. I'm not feeling motivated, you know. Every day deserves a chance. God is bigger than our circumstances. Here's another great psalm, Psalm 137, so Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God sends the best troops to oversee your life. How will you sleep tonight knowing that heaven's finest is watching over you? What an amazing thought that is. You are never alone. Here's another great psalm, Psalm 31 and verse 34. So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. When you put your hope in God, faith will give you strength and courage. So let's just recap what we've learned from this passage of Scripture. The truth will set you free when you pray. Harness that anxiety that you feel to motivate you to prayer. The prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman, James says, is powerful and effective and it's working. And remember that prayer is not just about you, it's about others. So stand in the gap for others. Believe that your breakthrough is not just for you, but your breakthrough is a breakthrough for others as well. That they might see the power of God outworked in your life. That they might know that you don't need to fear because God is with me. That's going to be an answer to others' anxiety. And throw into the mix some thanksgiving and gratitude. Allow God to give you perspective on your current circumstances. Think about God's goodness and faithfulness. And the peace of God. Read the scriptures. Take hold of some of those psalms, some of the promises of God that you've had. Remind yourself of those and allow God to give you his peace even in the midst of those circumstances. And the fifth one I wanted added in is to love your neighbor. Paul says in that passage in Philippians, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Anxiety can be a vicious cycle that robs us of our confidence. And one way to break that cycle is to help others. I just wanted to share a bit of a story um, tonight about our daughter Catherine, who's 24 now. And some of you will know perhaps our story, but we had with Catherine, I know Trevor and Margaret were great at praying for us. We had um, uh, Catherine when she was 12 to 14, we called those our three years from hell. Um, Catherine was adopted, we adopted her when she was 10 days old, and uh, when she was 12, she started climbing out windows, she started living rough on the streets of Wellington, it was just a, a nightmare. We'd walk the streets looking for her, we'd report her as a missing person, we did it so many times that we used to pre-fill the forms in from the police, and report her as a missing person over 20 times, it was just a, a nightmarish time in our lives. But the, but the 
the strange thing and the redemptive thing about that was when we felt least able to be of any use to God, God used us in the most powerful way to get alongside other parents who had children who were going through the same kind of things as we were, but they didn't have hope. They didn't know the reality of fear not, God is with you in the person of Jesus. And when we felt least together, we were able to encourage them and to give them hope in the midst of their journey and in the midst of their struggle. And even 10 years later, it was Catherine's birthday just recently on the 28th of May. She was 24. Even 10 years later, when I haven't heard from her for a period of time, it's easy for my mind to go back 10 years. And I'm thinking about where is she now? What's she doing? And I have to actively choose to trust that God is big enough to look after her when I can't look after her. She's 24. She's a young woman. She's a person in her own right. I said to her, Catherine, I said, I need to hear from you every seven days for my mental and emotional health. She said, Dad, I'll put you in my phone. I'll set a reminder. So we'll see how that goes. Here's another quote for you from Max Licardo's book, Fear Not. He writes, Jesus doesn't condemn legitimate concern for responsibilities, but rather the conscious mindset that dismisses God's presence. Destructive anxiety subtracts God from the future, faces uncertainties with no faith, and tallies up the changes of the day without entering God into the equation. And prophetically, I felt God is saying to us tonight, put God into the equation. And, and I wondered, um, being a bit of a mathematician in my, older day, in my younger days, what that equation might look like. So this is what I came up with. So often we look at our circumstances and we think about, you know, the personal attributes that we can throw into the mix, and we think that that'll determine the outcome. But I'd like to suggest to you tonight that God's equation is something different from that. What about if we still have the circumstances and the personal attributes, but what about if we throw in the God factor, and what about if we don't just have an outcome, but we have a redemptive outcome? And I really want to encourage you. I don't know where you are on your journey of faith. I don't know what anxiety or struggles you're facing, but can I appeal to you tonight to have a God factor in the equation, that God is big enough to take something. Those three years from hell, they were just a nightmare in our life. We thought we would never get past them, and yet God took those to mold us and to make us to be something that he was able to use more redemptively uh, in our lives. So we have to make a conscious decision to partner with the truth of how God sees us rather than the anxiety that we're feeling. To do that requires shifting the spiritual atmosphere that surrounds us. I want to give you another example. You know, sometimes you just get to work, or, or the other day I found myself just getting grumpy. I thought, man, I didn't start out the day grumpy. I didn't get out the wrong side of bed or whatever. But, you know, sometimes you're just in a situation, you arrive at work, you arrive at university or high school or whatever you're doing, and you just find yourself getting grumpy. Yes? Maybe it's just me. And the reason for that is that often we're actually taking on the atmosphere of people around us. You know, you arrived and I wasn't grumpy, but now I'm just taking on the atmosphere that was there, and you find yourself being grumpy. It's so easy to feel yourself being sucked into that atmosphere and starting to feel grumpy yourself. Or you could remember that the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you could change that atmosphere. So you could take authority over that destructive atmosphere and release an atmosphere of gratitude and thanksgiving, and then you could reinforce that change atmosphere by buying donuts for morning tea. I'm a great believer, first in the spiritual, then in the natural. 
There's a great resource, and you've probably seen this already, um, and you'll find this on YouTube. If you can't find the link, I can send it to Sheridan. Probably some of you have watched Sid Roth and some of his stuff before, but he's interviewing Dawn De Silva that you might know from the Sozo, Bethel Sozo ministry, and she's got a great clip there about changing spiritual atmospheres. And the one, we, one way we can overcome anxiety and we can fear not because God is with us is I believe we can change the atmosphere in our high schools. We can change the atmosphere at university. We can change the atmosphere in our workplaces by not partnering with the atmosphere that is there, but releasing the goodness and the faithfulness and the gratitude of God. And people can see the power of God at work through that. And then you can buy donuts for morning tea. That never hurts as well. Just trying to wrap this up, I want to finish this evening with an illustration from Richard Black, who heads up an organization called Strength to Strength. And he recently gave us this illustration when he was talking about mind health. And he says this, you know, so often in our lives, we try and just change things at a behavioral kind of level. But he said our mind is like a building, and our, our behaviors are fueled by our feelings, and our feelings are fueled by our self-talk. And our self-talk comes from deep-seated beliefs. God's answer to anxiety is, fear not, God is with you. But will we allow the truth to set us free by changing our deep-seated beliefs, which will change our self-talk in the way we see ourselves, which will change our feelings, which will change our behaviors? It's the difference between just Michael standing in the mirror and saying, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, to what is the truth that God says about me and how does that filter through my life? A final quote from Max Licato's book, Fear Not to Finish. He says this, God changes the man by changing the mind. And how does it happen? As Christ dominates your thoughts, he changes you from one degree of glory until, hang on, you are ready to live for him. Heaven is the land of sinless minds, absolute trust, no fear or anger. Shame and second guessing are practices of a prior life. Heaven will be wonderful, not because the streets are gold, but because our thoughts will be pure. So what are you waiting for? Give God your best thoughts and see if he doesn't change your mind. Give God your best thoughts and see if he doesn't change your mind. So if you're not sure where to go to from here, can I recommend this resource from Belinda Stott? Again, you'll find it on, on, um, on YouTube, or if you can't find it, I can send the link, uh, Fear Not, and uh, that'll just be a great resource for you actually to have a look at. And can I encourage you, if you're still stuck in the area of anxiety in your life, then talk to one of the elders here um, at Activate Hamilton or one of the pastoral care team. You might be stuck and you might just need some help and insights to be able to move on from where you are. Lastly tonight, I just wanted to pray the blessing of Jesus over us. And this is a wonderful prayer that's found in the book of Jude. The book of Jude only has one chapter. It's generally, most commentators say, is considered to have been written by one of Jesus' brothers. We know James, who was in Jerusalem and looked after the church there. And Jude's another one of those brothers. And it's found in Jude chapter 24, uh, sorry, verses 24 and 25. And I just want to read it as a, a prayer tonight. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, 
majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore.